Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Yeshua, Bani, Shariba, Jamin, Akub, Shebathai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Haliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book of the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. That's what preaching is, giving the sense of the reading. And Nehemiah taught the people and said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn. Do not weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat. Drink the sweet wine. That's what I did on my birthday yesterday. Don't judge me. Fat is flavor, people. Drink the sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to your Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. We're going to read the last couple verses at the end, but the first point here today is this. The Word of God renews our minds. The Word of God renews our minds. There's a verse in Romans 12 where Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be what? transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See guys, God is so gracious. He is so loving that he wants to transform you and he starts by renewing your mind with his word. The word of God is intellectual in nature. It challenges our deepest held understanding of the world the galaxies, where life comes from, what the purpose of life is, our, our perceptions. And as we allow the Word of God to marinate on our cranial tissues, if you will, it begins to change what and how we think. Have you guys experienced that in your life? And in fact, it's so amazing that some people even get stuck there. I've met Christians that are all about just head knowledge. That's all it's about for them. They love doctrine, and doctrine is beautiful. It's amazing, and they understand deep truths, but their lives don't end up producing fruit because for them, it stops there. It's all about this intellectual approach to God, and just because their heads are engaged, it doesn't mean their hearts are. Have you guys experienced people like that in your life? They see the Word as this series of logical propositions, and they agree to those with mental assent, and their faith is all right here. But not so with this group of refugees and exiles in Nehemiah. What we see first here is we see this hunger. As God is reviving his people, they are starving for the word of God. They tell him, hey, bring us 
the book. They ask for it. And it says in verse 1 that they're, they're waiting, and you see this picture of them waiting with eagerness and anticipation for the Word of God. And you also see this reverence, because as Ezra stands up and he opens the Word of God, what do they all do? They all stand in reverence. They can't, they, they're just blown away. They, they have this respect, this honor, this reverence for the Word of God. I think a reason for this is because they've been in exile for 70 years. Probably most people here had never experienced the Word of God. A whole generation had passed off the scene. And many of these people had never had a, like a, a moment where they heard the Word of God proclaimed. And so this is a momentous moment. Finally, they're back in their land, in their city with a wall built, and they're about to hear the word of God proclaimed. And I love what Josiah said on Wednesday. He said, look at the reverence they show. They all came as one man, 50,000 people, not there for themselves, but for God and for one another. And when he opened the book, they all stood. An entire nation of people stood and listened intently. It's convicting. I mean, look at their hunger and reverence for the word. And then, if you will, take a second and look at your own. Look at your own hunger and reverence for the word. How much during the week are you driven with a hunger and desire to get into the word of God, to allow it to speak into your life? How much of your life do you realize that, that my source of life is actually the word of God? Or how much of the time do you struggle with that and you really think, oh, that's just dead and dry and boring. I don't have time for that. i got to drop the kids at the babysitter. Right? I'm giving personal examples here because that's where I live a lot of the time. I'm not preaching at you guys like, you people, you don't love the Word of God. I'm like, hey, us people, we really, really fail at this a lot. It's like there's a lack of hunger and reverence for the Word of God. And there's this intellectual response that you see that, that happens when Ezra leads these people in worship and blessing. The people lift up their hands and they say, Amen, Amen. They bowed themselves to the ground and worshiped. What a beautiful picture of heartfelt praise and adoration towards God's Word. They stand, they lift their hands, they bow themselves down. That's why on a Sunday, when we're singing songs, when we're proclaiming the truth of God, and you see somebody go, Woo! It's all right. It's all right. They're just responding intellectually to the truth of who God is and what he's done for them. It's a beautiful thing to be free in worship. I'm going to say that again. It is a beautiful thing to be free in worship. And I'm not advocating that we start going all charismatic crazy in here, right? But I'm saying, like, if you feel something when we're worshiping, I hope you feel the freedom to let go and let, let God have his way, to, 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 just to worship him, to honor him with your hands lifted. Bow your heads. Jump up on your feet. They let the word marinate on their minds, and they respond in kind. I have a question for you guys. What are some ways in your life that we can allow God's word to marinate on our minds? Some dialogue here. What are some ways we can do that? Memorization. There you go. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. In the car, like on the audio track? We spend so much time in the car, and half the time I'm just bumping the radio or listening to random nothingness, right? But you could listen to the Word of God. Yeah, what else? Listen. Listen to the Word of God. That's what we're doing here. We're reading the Word of God and hearing it explained. What else can we do? Memorize. Yep. Study. Yeah. Get to know the culture, the customs, who it was written to, some of the, some of the languages it was written in and what the meanings of those words are because often they're deeper and more impacted than some of the words we use in, in English, right? Yeah, yeah. There's so many ways that we can allow the word to marinate on our minds, right? But it doesn't stop there. The next thing that happens, number two, the word of God recreates our hearts. And this is key. Ezekiel who prophesied while they were in exile. Ezekiel was a contemporary of Daniel and Jeremiah and some of these guys who lived in the time of exile. He prophesies. He talks about this day when these people will come back. And he says this. He says, God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The word may renew our mind, but we can't let it stop there. It has to affect our hearts. The word of God has to get down into the core of who we are, affect our emotions. One of our biggest problems in life is our hard hearts. Our hard hearts towards others, our hard hearts towards God, But God is so gracious and loving that he wants to renew your heart. Look at God's promise. He will give us a new heart. God is saying, I'm going to take out this old heart of stone that's in you, that's opposed to my ways, that just allows things to like sit here in your intellect and and marinate there, but never, often we, we stop it from getting to our hearts. We stop our emotions from allowing to be impacted. How's it going for you? When you hear the word, is your heart start out cold, kind of like your car in the morning? You know, and you have to go warm it up? It's the worst thing when you don't warm up the car and you start to drive. I'm always afraid that's just going to like just <laughs> break down on me, right? Yet I, I do that so often when I encounter the word of God. I read it just, just right here between my ears, and I don't engage with my heart so frequently. And I, I have to, what I have to do in those times is I have to willfully submit and allow my heart to be affected by the truth that is there in Scripture. Allow my emotions to be touched. See, the thing is, we can know truths about God and not really believe them all the time. And then we don't experience any real life change. Right? And the, a great example of that is this. Is that we say something like, hey guys, here's some truth about God. Okay, God This is one of the things that's come up over and over in Nehemiah. God is glorious. God is sovereign above everything. Remember the stars? Remember that he created the galaxies and he stands outside of them? And what he says about you is all that matters. And he says, I love you. I've placed my affection on you. You are worth the price of my son's life. And that's all that matters. Man, that's that's amazing. And we go away from a sermon like that, or we go away from reading the word like that, and somebody on the street says, hey, drive better, you, you know, and says 
buddy, you know, or whatever they call you. And what happens to your heart in that moment? Rage. Because they just challenged your identity. Right? Because all of a sudden, for a moment, my identity is not built anymore on, what, on God and his glory and what he says of me. But my identity all of a sudden is built on how well I drive. And I drive fine, you know. Kids, when you grow up, don't be like that. That guy's mean. I, your dad's driving just fine, right? It's totally how I handle it. Right? But, but sanctification, becoming like Christ, is actually closing the gap between what you know to be true in your head and what you really believe in your heart. When that happens, guys, there's nothing like it. When you feel the God of the universe and warming your heart and transforming you from within, it is so powerful. It is overwhelming. It overwhelms your emotions. It like fries your circuits. Have you guys felt the love of God here burning in your heart and changing you from within? I hope every one of you have felt that at some, at some time. If not, I hope you do, and I hope you begin to more and more frequently because that brings inner change. And there are Christians, though, who get stuck there. There are Christians who, they start chasing the feeling. They replace the truth of God for the feeling that they want to feel when they feel the presence of God moving. And, and it's all heart, and they sometimes don't have a proper understanding of the Word, to guide all those powerful feelings, and they get off track, and the feelings replace submission to the Word. But the people in this text, they're not just all head knowledge, and they're not just all heart, emotion, and feeling. No, they have both. They hear the Word of God, they apply it intellectually, then they allow its truth to affect them way down to their core. And we see that because of the conviction that shows up in verse 8, when God's people understood the reading as it was translated and explained by the Levites, they burst into tears. God's word pierced their heart with conviction. And they're shaken to the core. They, they weep uncontrollably. They lie on the ground under the weight of their sin and their disobedience. And all the, the, the story that has led up to now of them building golden calves and them worshiping false gods and then exchanging the truth of God for a lie. And they feel the weight of that and they fall down on their face and they weep uncontrollably. They had understood why God had allowed them to be taken away into Babylon in the first place. But this day, this day was supposed to be a day of celebration and rejoicing. In fact, Emily says this, said this the other night. She said, the mourning that we see in them is our response when we come into contact with the Holy God. He hadn't abandoned them, but they were mourning because they had abandoned him over and over. Right? But the other thing you see here besides conviction, and this, I love this, is you see the grace of God. Nehemiah and all the other leaders say, whoa, 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 guys, hold on, hold on. And they redirect their focus. They knew that to honor God's purpose for the day and for the people's well-being, they needed to lift their eyes off of their sin. They needed to lift their eyes off of their, their failures, off of their pattern of brokenness and inconsistencies, and see the grace of God on display. Because there's a greater reality than your sin. And that is the grace of our loving God. Amen? 
And how many, have you guys ever gotten stuck just focusing on your failure and forgetting to turn your heart toward Jesus? That's a horrible place to live. It is death. It's not life. But they, they point them to this greater reality that God had gathered them and was restoring them and reviving them. And this, this is cause for celebration. We even see that in sermons. Like in sermons, there's, there's going to be times, and in your conversations with your friend, your neighbor, your coworker, with somebody in your life who you care for, there's going to be times where they admit to brokenness and sin. And it's okay to let them see that sin and to feel the sorrow of that. But if it just ends there, it's not the gospel. It's not grace. At some point, it has to turn to focus and worship the grace of God. Right? And that's what happens. They say, stop weeping. Guys, go eat the best fat food. It says fat. I don't know what that, I don't know if they just ate fat. Fat is flavor. I would just eat fat. I'm going to be honest. I would just eat fat. I wouldn't live very long, but it would be a very happy life. Just, just fat uh, and sweet wine. It's time to party. Let me ask you guys, what are some ways we can allow the Word of God to affect our hearts? Our hearts. You in your day, as you go and you encounter the Word of God, you listen to a podcast, you pull out your Bible or your Bible app, and you begin to read and pour over the Word of God, what are some ways you can allow it to affect your heart and not just stop here? Dan. Ah, yeah. Yeah, actually... You start to obey it, right? And it, yeah, it can warm your heart that way. Yes. Share it. Share it. Yeah, that's the truth. I'll tell you what, one of the best things for my life is having to prepare for sermons and teachings. Because you know what? I'm pouring over the word of God for other people and I go to share it and it's always just hitting me in the heart more and more. I'm so thankful that God has placed me in a place in my life where I'm sharing my faith. And I want to encourage you guys to do that as well. Share it because it's going to get into you. Because it, if it's going to get through you, it's got to get into you, right? Yeah, what else? Marco, you had your hand up. Yeah, meditate on it. Take your time with it. I've got three minutes. All right, give me a scripture, Lord. <laughs> Judas went out and hanged himself. Shoot, that's not helpful. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Surrender to it. Yeah. Surrender to it. Yeah, come over in my life. Speak into my life, God. I surrender. Yeah. Pray about Tom. Oh, pray about it. <laughs> I was getting to you. Pray about it. Yeah. Because it, it's not just a book, right? It's a relationship with the living God. So allow it to be relational. Pray about it, Tom. Mm. Repent and believe. Yeah, let it call out the things in your life that are not in alignment with God and His ways and turn toward Him. Trust Him. Yeah. Good, let's keep, let's keep going. Number three, the Word of God reforms our lives. So, read this, this text with me. This is from James chapter 1. Familiar text. Be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and then goes away at once, forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. 
See, guys, God is so gracious and loving, he wants to transform your words and your actions so you can experience abundant life. He wants to do that. He wants to renew our minds. He wants to recreate our hearts. And as we allow him to do that, we submit to the word, it actually begins to work its way out into our lives, reshaping and reforming our lives. What good is the word if it never brings life change and salvation into your life? Here's a question. A lot of people say, I'm saved. I got saved. What'd you get saved from? Does your life look any different than it did before you had an encounter with Jesus? But James tells us that when we receive the word of God in faith, it will show up in the form of a changed life. Faith leads to action every time. And if it doesn't, it's not faith. I don't care how many theological terms you can properly articulate. I don't care how much you weep in response to a worship service. If you don't have the fruit of a changed life, it's not faith. The proof is in the pudding. There's no experience like allowing the Word of God to inform our minds, to transform our hearts, and to reform our lives. That, that is life, guys. That is life. And conversely, there are a lot of Christians, and I've been here, I lived here for a while, who are all hands. They do a lot of great things for the kingdom, but they often feel that they're justified by their works. Some of them have very little doctrine. Many of them do their works out of the wrong heart motivations. They do it for someone's approval. They do it to make God proud of them, make God happy working for their salvation. But you can do all the right things and have all the wrong doctrine and all the wrong heart motivation, right? That's a problem with the Pharisees in Jesus' day. But the people in this text have allowed God's word to renew their minds, to recreate their heart, and now look at how it begins to reform their lives. Nehemiah 8, 13 through 18. On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and Levites came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should go out and proclaim it and publish it in their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive and wild olive and myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees, and make booths as it is written. So what did they do in response? Verse 16. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his own roof, and in the courts and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square at the water gate, and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in booths. For from the days of Joshua... The son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law. And they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. See, what we see here, guys, is submission. That's the first thing we see. Submission and obedience to the word of God. To be reformed by God's word means that it changes your life. Your life changes in response to what Scripture teaches. It means taking the Bible seriously. Doing, believing, and obeying what it says. It's, uh, like when I think about how our church was formed, I'm so thankful because I think what a lot of us were experiencing was a 
divine discontent with the way church was being done in our, in our different circles. And we had this drive. We felt the Holy Spirit, as we looked into the Word, said that the church wasn't just about awesome choirs, although we love choirs. The church wasn't just about really cool buildings with stained glass windows, although architecture is awesome, and it can be a praise, praising thing to God. But, but at the end of the day, God called His people to do what? to go out into the whole world and be disciples who make disciples. And we were like, wow, that is really missing. We were relegating discipleship to a classroom somewhere with a whiteboard and saying, hey guys, this is discipleship, attend this class, and then you'll be more like Jesus. But all throughout the scripture, there's this, there's this totally different version of what church is. The people of God living for the purposes of God in community walking together, living together, challenging one another, making disciples together. And so that is how this church was formed. Two churches that were saying, hey, we want to live this life on mission as the people of God, the family of God. And yeah, we're still going to have Sunday gatherings, but instead of planning all week long to make the Sunday gatherings amazing and making it the big show, what we want to do is use the Sunday gatherings to equip us for the life of the church all week long. And I think that's probably why most of us are here today. We're here because we have a hunger and a desire to actually live life together as the church, to be God's people. And it all came from humble submission to the Word. And we see this kind of humble submission in the people of Israel. In verse 13, on the second day, this smaller group of leaders gathers together. They read their Bible, and they're like, Hey, guys, there's this thing called the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. We're supposed to be doing this. We haven't done it since Joshua's day. You guys want to do it? The Bible says it? Yeah, let's do it. So they all go out and they build these booths and they sleep in booths for seven days. It was like Thanksgiving, but seven days long. A party like full of really good food and remembering what God had done for them as he led them out of uh, Egypt and toward the promised land and how they had to pitch these tents and set up these temporary dwelling places all the time for 40 years as they wandered around. And it's a reminder of God's grace. It's this reminder that God had called them to participate in. God always does this. He tells us to remember his grace because we're prone to forget. We forget so quickly. I love this. Like, um, this is what Nancy said in response to this. She said, I was rejoicing because what a testimony of their growth with God, knowing their story. And instead of making a golden calf and doing things their way like they did over and over again, they were excited to go out and obey God and build booths. Simple, humble obedience in response to heart change. Josiah said, It's like they finally got to get away from the idolatry and barbarism of Babylon, and they're joyfully embracing their God, and they get to do it with other people like them. And then Jennifer was like, yeah, she just jumped on. She's like, it's like coming together on Sunday after being surrounded all week with atheists and agnostics and other people who doubt and worshiping God with other people who get it. It was joy-filled freedom. That's what it was. Freedom. Shouldn't that be what we experience in the church? Psalm 119.32 says, I will run in the way of your commandments, for you set my heart free. When God renews our minds and he recreates our hearts to be his people, we don't just walk, we run 
into his path. Ramiro said this. He said, there is joy in the law of God. It's not restriction. It's freedom. So let me ask you this last question. In what ways have you experienced the freedom and joy of obeying God's word? I want you to think about that. Instead of dialoguing that one, just think about it. In your life, as you've moved on and you've let the word of God inform your mind and transform your heart, how has it begun to reform your life in a way that is life-giving, in a way that is joy-filled, in a way that has hope in difficult circumstances? I'm going to wrap it up with this, this conclusion that like Israel, like the people of Nehemiah's day, we are called to be a nation of priests. Light spread out into a world of darkness. God's people in God's kingdom living in exile among the nations. You are here to be people of the word. Reshaped by God's word in such a way that your life is preaching a sermon. To live in a way that demands a gospel explanation. And Nehemiah is just a significant story because if you get the good news that's here and you live out of it, you're going to begin to live a life that is so attractive that it draws other people to our amazing God. And Nehemiah is the story of God coming to his people and giving them a heart to love his word. It's a story of God coming and reviving them with his grace and loving them and fulfilling his promises to restore them and revive them to be his people. And guys, it's our story too. As we sit here and we reflect on this word of God today, I want you to think about the fact that God wants us to be people of the word. That he's calling us to be that. Are you daily creating space in your life for God to change you with, your word, with his word? Are you allowing the Word of God to marinate on your mind and warm your heart and direct your life? Are you running to it throughout the day as a source of life? But Nehemiah isn't the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise. It's a signpost that points ahead to the person and work of Jesus. Because in Jesus, we see somebody who incarnated the Word of God perfectly. He was the Word made flesh. He submitted to Word, and it was, it was like the Word of God was the pattern of his brainwaves. It's like the Word of God was the drumbeat of his heart. The Word of God was the rhythm of everything he, he did, all his steps, his, the rhythm of his life. The greatest expression of God's mercy and the greatest expression of God's keeping his promise is Jesus Christ, who lived the life we couldn't live, he perfectly submitted to the Word of God, even though we often don't. He was in the Word, even though we often don't even take the time for it. And he did that firstly so that you could have pardon, so that you could be forgiven for your, for your failure to actually walk with the God of the universe. He walked perfectly with God so that we would be freed from the guilt and the punishment of not doing it, because we do a pretty shoddy job, Right? Yet at the same time, he came to empower us. The gospel changes our heart. When we see Christ's love for us in the gospel, when you see how Jesus loved you so much that he gave himself for you, that he was an embodiment of the word, made flesh for you, it'll warm your heart. And then he not only, not only died in our place, but he 
resurrected and ascended and sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in our lives. So I want to close with a prayer and just ask the Holy Spirit to come and do a work as we wrap up and go toward a time of communion. Okay? Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would empower us. Empower us. Encourage our hearts in times when we believe the lies that your word is not life. We believe lies that your word is, is something that we just don't have enough time for. And God, I ask you to do a work in us today that we can't do in ourselves. Give us new hearts that receive your word with joy. Revive us, God. Reform us with your word. Help us to be the people of your word. Let us rejoice. Help us to rejoice that God's kept his promises and made us his own through Jesus Christ. Help us to live in such a way that we incarnate your truth, that we declare and demonstrate the gracious good news of Jesus Christ with our lives. And I pray as we come down here together and take communion, that you would give our church a heart to receive your word with joy, that you would revive us and reform us and give us a revival, Lord, a revival of your word. Holy Spirit, apply it to our lives. Give us a hunger to chase after you and to rest in the finished work of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.